0: Well good morning, I am not Brent Johnson, but I am the one that happens to find myself married to him. My name is Kylie, and I have to tell you that at the um, very beginning of my notes in the introduction, it says funny slash embarrassing story about Brent, because a couple of weeks ago When he said that I would be speaking this week, he went on to share a story about one of the last times that I spoke with him and something that I said that was kind of a foot-in-mouth moment. And I had several people come up to me afterwards and say, man, you need to pay him back. So last night, he happened to see my notes sitting out on the counter, and I put that in there, and then I was like, oh, I'll think of something later. And I didn't. But then he saw that, and he's like... Embarrassing Brent's story, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, thank you for the reminder. And he goes, just remember that for every one time you're up there, I'm up there about 400 times. And in that moment, I realized I needed to either step down or, like, double down. Even right now I'm trying to decide what I want to do, but I think I'm going to double down. So (laughs) it's not as much of a story as it is an assignment for you guys. A um, couple of months ago, maybe just over a year now, actually, Brent was having some real issues in the gut area. Come to find, it was like painful stuff too. Come to find out it was gallbladder, so we had that removed. And if you know anything about having your gallbladder removed, it really has an effect on your lavatory schedule, <laughs> especially when it pertains to like a very rich meal or a mug of coffee. On Sunday mornings, here's how our schedule goes at home, we wake up, we get dressed, we get ready, we have a mug of coffee. And then we drive to the uptown and we walk inside. The part where this all breaks down is that is about the window of time after a mug of coffee that Brent has before the next tick on his lavatory schedule. So here's your assignment. You guys need to start showing up at around 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. During the week, think of everything that you possibly might ever need to tell Brent. And just hold on to it. Meet him in the parking lot and tell it to him. That's your only assignment. So um, moving right along. This series has been awesome. Um, Brent and Gail took on the first two weeks of our Advent series, and I am sitting here feeling like the little kid that gets to put the star on the top of the tree after it's done being decorated. Um, All of the grunt work has been put in by everybody else, but I get to top it all off and then feel like the hero. Um, It's kind of like when you're working on a collaborative project with somebody, and Um, You take on 99% of the load, and then your partner eats Christmas cookies, but gets just as much credit, and you're like, all you did was show up for this meeting, Stanley, and that's what I get to do. I get to be Stanley. So I'm excited to be closing up a series that they have really um, set me up for success in ending. Brent kicked off the series by defining nostalgia as a longing or an aching to return home, but sometimes it's not, our longing isn't for something tangible, it's a much more abstract, moving target sort of longing. And he read one of my favorite C.S. Lewis, Lewis, C.S. Lewis quotes that week. Um, and just a side note, if you aren't already aware of this, our youngest son is named Clive after C.S. Lewis, actually. And if you stick around Eastlake for long enough or if you've been here for any length of time, you um, understand why we quote C.S. Lewis a lot. And um, we figured that if we quote somebody so frequently, we should probably name our fourth kid after him. So with that as our rule, it was either Clive or Dwight Schrute. And we went, with Clive. Um, Anyways, the quote is, and it might be on the, oh yeah it is, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I love that. So um, basically it all wrapped up, his bottom line of that week was there's a deep longing in each one of us for eternity and we can hold on to the hope of once again returning to our true home. Um, And then last week, Gail, my incredible mother-in-law, came and she shared a lot of wisdom about being present and combating distraction. She referred to the story of Simeon, who was an old man um, who, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple when he was a baby to be dedicated, Simeon found them and approached them. He had been waiting his whole life for the Messiah, and he recognized Who Jesus was, and he claimed that he could now die in peace, that he's seen the Son of God with his own eyes. And Gail said that it was because he was sensitive and aware um, because he was in the moment. He was staying present. He could have let the moment pass him by, may not have really seen who Jesus was. Um, and she wrapped that whole week back around to the fact that God is still, even now, offering us gifts that we could miss if we are living our lives fully encumbered in distraction. Um, so 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 good. So we've looked with Brent at the future. Uh, with Gail at the present, and today we'll spend a few minutes looking at the gift of ad- Advent when we are nostalgic toward or longing for the past. So it's kind of the exact opposite of the ghosts who visit Scrooge, because we're going future, present, past, and he went past, present, future, but I think it'll still work out in the end. So here we go. Um, For several hundred years leading up to Jesus' birth, generation after generation watched and waited for a promise that had been made to them. They continued living under a law requiring all kinds of sacrifice for guilt. They kept circling back to a chronic state of moral debt and shame, but time kept ticking on, and they watched, and they waited, and and they hoped, and they hoped, and they hoped, and they hoped for over 400 years for the arrival of the one who is gonna come and show up and help them succeed where they always just kept seeming to fail. No matter what they did, they could not crawl out from under this law. And then one day, an angel shows up to a young virgin girl named Mary and tells her, you're actually gonna have a baby, and it is like the baby. God's son is on his way. He's the one you've been waiting for, and he's coming here via your belly. And Mary's like, yes, okay, here we go. And then there are some awkward conversations with her fiancé, and then we jump into Luke 2, First 1. About that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So Joseph went from Galilee, the Galilean town of Nazareth up to Bethlehem in Judah, David's town, for the census. As a descendant of David, he had to go there. He went with his he went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Of course, super convenient while you're on the road. She gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the hostel. I love the message version and how much it makes them seem like little hipsters with like banjos strapped to them and like a guitar on their back. Um, Trying to stay at a hostel. It's super great. It's an event for everyone. Um, There were, I'm just, I know it says sheep herders, I'm just going to say shepherds because that's going to come out much more voluntarily than sheep herders will. There were shepherds camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angel stood among them and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, Don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A savior has just been born in David's town, a savior who is Messiah and master. This is what you're to look for a baby wrapped in a blanket, lying in a manger which we all stop and go, wait, weren't there just babies laying in blankets and mangers all over the place? Actually, no, we just think that because we see manger scenes all the time, but it was probably more like them saying, you're to look for a baby wrapped in a blanket lying in a birdbath or a dog bowl. You're gonna recognize it. It's gonna stand out. At once, the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises, glory to God in the heavenly heights, Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. As the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the shepherds talked it over. Let's get over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger or the dog bowl. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. All who heard the shepherds were impressed. So Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them dear, deep in herself. The shepherds returned and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. It turned out exactly the way they had been told. Um, I really like the contrast here where it mentions Mary just like, all of these things were said to me and I haven't told anyone. And now it's all coming to pass. And like this gentle, like, oh, I'm just holding this moment in my heart forever. And it's so precious. And <laughs> the shepherds, I imagine them with like ragged horns. And they're like, holy smokes, you guys. We've finally seen the one that we've been waiting for. And he's in a dog bowl. Finally, finally, finally. He's literally, it's heaven on earth And they're going to write so many carols about this moment right now. Um, It's just pretty funny the different personalities already revealing themselves way back when the Enneagram was still stuff, you guys. Um, Now, without comparing any of my own children to baby Jesus, because (laughs) let's be real, um, but I can imagine some of the feelings that Mary was processing in those early days. And if you've ever um, been a parent or been a mom who is lying with your brand new baby, um, you understand this too, the buildup, the pregnancy, the fear, the labor. Oh my gosh, the labor. And now they're here and People are bringing you nice presents and delivering meals, and everything is as it should be for one hot second, and it's great. And then they're potty training, and the only time that they ever want to tell you that they have to go is in the back of Costco by the milk, (laughs) or they're seven, and they only want to fart or talk about said farts. Or they're almost 13 and you're actually acutely aware of the dwindling number of years that you have left with them under your roof. I was not planning on crying at this part. These are just completely random examples, of course. And watching them grow is both the best thing ever and a constant painful stabbing of your heart because you are slowly handing over the control of their story. And um, what's interesting is God really... Did send this perfect, amazing kiddo that was fully God and fully man. But even Mary reached this point with Jesus. Um, If we look at Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 48, um, it says Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for a feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up, as they always did, for the feast. When it was over and they left for home, Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day and then began looking for him among relatives and neighbors. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. The next day they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him impressed with the sharpness of his answers, but his parents were not impressed. They were V, upset and hurt. Um, One, a day is a long time to travel (laughs) without knowing where your kid is, but I kind of get it, because Brent and I have totally been that moment where you're like, hanging out in the lobby, like, especially pre-COVID time when it's like a big group of people and you're all just kind of like laughing and chatting and assume that Clive is with his dad. And dad assumes Clive is with me. And then we look at each other and we're like, where is he? And he's in Jerusalem. (laughs) Um, So this is probably one of the first times that they start to recognize that this isn't just the peaceful story of us behind the super cool hostel with a baby. Baby Jesus is no longer baby Jesus. He's tween Jesus. He's, that's okay, I'll make my own lunch, Jesus. He's, hey, mom, can I borrow the car, Jesus. He's beginning an emergence from Mary, and she's possibly for the first time recognizing that she is no longer the one in control of this story. A story that she once held close while the shepherds were all blasting their reggae horns um, and everyone was gawking at her precious hope filled baby. Um, that story was now a baton ready to be passed. And those are just the beginning stages of this emergence. We read later on in Matthew about a more developed version of it. Um, in Matthew 12, starting in verse 46. Jesus had developed a following at this point, and he was sharing stories of wisdom to a large group of people. And it starts off by saying, while he was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers showed up. They were outside trying to get a message to him. Um, And someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are out here. They're wanting to speak with you. Jesus didn't respond directly, but said, who do you think my mother and my brothers are? He then stretched out his hand toward his disciples, looked closely, and said, "'Look closely. These are my mother and my brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys my heavenly father is my brother and sister and mother.'" Basically, he's standing there saying, "'That's not my family anymore. This is my family.'" And can you imagine when Mary's like trying to shuffle through like hey I got to talk to him I got to talk to him and then she hears this. Ouch. I mean, I can imagine for that moment Mary stops in her tracks and longs for the manger. She longed for a time when she felt called and fulfilled and needed. It felt easier and more comfortable then and it only seems to be getting harder and more uncomfortable now. And we can Im- We can envision Mary doing this because this is what we do. It doesn't matter if you're a parent or not. We've all been in a moment when we experience pain or discomfort, and we become nostalgic for a time before. Um, We long to go back, back to a time that felt more simple, back to a time when the kids were younger or the marriage was healthy, back before the diagnosis was given, or the regretted words were spoken, before the money was all spent, or the dumb choice was made, or the temper was lost, back to when temptation hadn't teetered into addiction, when honesty was the default, back to the conversation we didn't know would be the last one, and back to when being alone didn't feel so ding lonely. And in those moments of pain and discomfort, our ache to go back is so real, and there's nothing we can do about it. And I think that it was really real for Mary, too. Um, But we know that there was a much bigger story unfolding. Um, Jesus' birth into the dog bowl behind the hipster hostel wasn't actually where everything stopped. The incarnation was a poetic and humble and beautiful beginning, but That's exactly what it was. It was just the beginning. Paul, who wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament, knew that as important as the Christmas story was, it was just a stepping stone to something more. That's what it was always meant to be. It was the beginning of a bigger story. It was the story of a rebuilding and unveiling of hope after what seemed like an eternity of waiting And a story where Jesus made it clear that all are welcome at the table, a story of a sacrificial death, and a story of him not staying dead, therefore making us all part of this bigger story. Um, So back to Mary, standing in that moment, with Jesus saying, that's not my family anymore, this is my family. And the pain that she felt as life progressed on past the manger And as we read that story, we get to do so through the lens of knowing the bigger story. Um, Perhaps this has us discount her suffering and inflating our own because we know her story was a big one. Um, But Mary didn't have the rest of her story yet either. You know what it felt like for her is actually... Probably a lot like what our aching and our longing and our nostalgic moments to go back do for us. Um, Later on in the New Testament, Paul writes to a group of people in Rome, and he does some heavy lifting about what the story of Jesus' death and resurrection was going to mean moving forward. But before he gets too far into the weeds, he talks about the Christmas story. He takes up space in this important letter to remind them of the darkness before the light. He takes them back to the beginning of the story because it speaks to the weight of the hope that we can hold on to until the very end. Which is why in chapter 8 he writes this. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma, the dilemma that they were facing before Jesus came, With this law that they were experiencing loads of moral debt and shame over, and wanted so desperately for someone to come and help them fulfill it, we no longer have to deal with this dilemma. It's resolved. We don't have to live under a continuous low lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular. I love that. God went for the jugular when he sent his son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition entered the disordered mess of of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law, weakened by fractured human nature, could never have done that. This was the only way to settle it once and for all. Um, God didn't choose to show up and live a comfortable life and then quickly pay the debt without a mess and then peace out. But he showed up as a tiny baby, as a humble human, and a swaddled-up bundle of potential. And although that, as we know, isn't the end of the story, it certainly laid the foundation for the rest of it. You see, that night Jesus was born, um, a new axis was created, and we're all familiar with graphs right now. Obviously, this year we've followed them for a number of reasons, but if you can imagine a graph with me, it has... Um, you know, this Axis, I don't even know if they're, I'm right now realizing I don't know that they're both called access, but that's we're gonna pretend that both of them are. And so um, there's, you know, just this ever-growing, like, debt. We can't pay, God, we need someone to come in and help us, like, pay all of this off because the shame that we are carrying is unbearable. And um, what happened is when Jesus was born, There's all of this junk right here, and he moves the axis up, and there's this new axis. And um, even when we're standing, what's really cool about that is when we're standing in the hurt and discomfort like Mary, because things feel completely out of our control, and even when we long like heck to go back to a time that felt easier and more simple, and even in our very, very, very lowest moments, we never fall below this new axis anymore. All of this doesn't matter except to point us to how hopeful this is, this new axis. Um, And I just really think that this incredible time of year, every year, I really hope that we can remember that the Christmas story, it I I have a quote actually that I think is going to go on the screen, but because of the Christmas story, we are now forever sandwiched between God showing up for us through his son and an end where sorrow doesn't have the final word. We're never going to fall below God loving us enough to send his son. That's always, always, always our starting point. And we also can be so confident that sorrow does not have the final word in the end. And I feel like that, when we really stop and recognize that, that's a pretty hopeful place to live, not to discount any sorrow or pain that we experience, but it feels less lonely and less difficult knowing that those are the two, that's the beginning and the end for us. And so um, as we close this series... I hope that we can look back and remember the great love that will always be our starting line. I hope that we can be attentive and loving and aware in our present moments, and I hope we can remember that we get to look ahead into the future to once again returning to our true home. Um, And I wrote a benediction that I'd like to read, and then um, I believe Brent will be coming up for a little Q&A time, but... I'll read the benediction. Um, Lord, we are here at the smoldering end of a year with many unforeseen layers. May we grieve collectively for all that was lost. May we celebrate the unexpected memories. And may we hold on tightly to the things that we've learned along the way. We long for the day where we can gather together again and when community is ah, once more something tangible. Um, something we can see and feel and touch. But in the meantime, we'll wait. And during this stretch of Advent and in the light of the new year ahead, may our courage be contagious. May we find tiny pockets of joy and may we continue to be a people of hard-won hope who know how to live amidst uncertainty. And may our discomfort remind us of our capacity to love because it's been handed down to us by the one who loves us more than we will ever understand. And may that carry us through. Amen. So good, babe. Thanks. I almost made it How all the way feeling? through.
1: How are you feeling? Feeling good? So
0: sweaty, <coughs> but good. <laughs> this is a really warm sweater, which I thought would be comforting, but...
1: <laughs> she was so excited to sit Real in a wet. red chair. She was
0: I was. Like, I was so excited to just get to sit in a red chair.
1: I know, and preach from there instead of like standing or sitting like, yes. like this, so... yes. Well, I, uh, I posted on Instagram, uh, or my Instagram this morning, that I think people will realize <clears throat> just how much better of a human you are than me um, <laughs> through your talk today, and I, I definitely think you delivered on that. You also mentioned um, in describing, thank you, my gallbladder situation. Appreciate that. Um, You're welcome. Use the phrase, and here's where it all breaks down, and I was sitting there going, and that's It doesn't break ex- down That's very exactly much. the issue, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it all breaks down, so, um, which is awesome. Uh, You talked about um, just briefly the the story in Luke 2 of the parents leaving Jesus behind for a whole day and how could that work out. And all I could think about as I sat there, I go, I've never thought about this before, but Home Alone is so unoriginal.
0: It's the, the Jesus script. The script is literally
1: biblical. Like Kevin! Yeah. Jesus! Like we give them so much credit, and then thinking about the uh, you know unrealistic nature of them actually getting in a plane, but that can be kind of factored in by like, you know, nowadays it's a lot harder to get on a plane or get through an airport than it used to be. Right. But then I realized like this is just
0: <gasps> it scriptural. Anyway, home
1: it's home one of your favorite movies and, and, and we're and supposed to watch it is. with the I'm kids. Um
0: like even more now.
1: Um okay, so you had a great definition of nostalgia being the ache to go back. You said it a couple times. Mm-hmm. That ache to go back. And I know you feel this tangibly more so than I do with our kids because I'm like, yes. let's move forward. Let's get Clive out of diapers. Let's get him out of this and out of this.
0: And, and I love new babies. And then
1: you will post you know, pictures and do this and, yes. and reflect on that nostalgia to go, to go back. What is it about like reliving the, do you actually, in those moments, do you, do you want to go back or do you just want to appreciate what's, what was there?
0: Well, I, when I, my arms like literally ache when I look at baby pictures of my kids, because I do, I just want to hold their new little tiny scrunched up bodies. But I don't actually want to go back because that would mean trading 12, almost 13 year old London, who's incredible, for a baby who I'd, yeah because yeah, it, it would cause be robbing me of what I have right now or right. what the person she 's becoming if I were to eternally keep her as a newborn
1: I think that 's really the issue in in this idea of looking back on something how do you How do you give value to that, but also go, yes, but i also um, i don 't want to rob myself of what 's currently present i don 't want to go so lost in what we have here because my mind is so much elsewhere back when times were things. Far more simpler, yeah. and at Christmas time, I think that that's a more like a very ingrained road. I think people a lot of times will think back on when times were simpler or whatever, and you're like you're missing out on like this whole piece right here, which I think is kind of an important part yeah. and then you said um, the reason you know advent is a chance to go back it's a necessary start, but a stepping stone to something more. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we reflect on this why why is it a lot of times that we like we love Christmas, and like we understand that Christmas and Easter are kind of related to some degree, um, but we like this one makes us feel better. Easter's like yeah, there's more blood there. There's you know <laughs> there's other things that in, are involved in like that, but Paul would you know in biblical authors would say that is that's like supremely important. Um, and even in the church calendar, Easter's always had priority over Christmas, but that's not to, like, not to say that there's not value in the Christmas. This is the start of the liturgical calendar. It's a chance to go back to what? To remember kind of there is a necessary start to everything, and, but it's not like, you know, there, the, uh, there's something more like, that is, is worth it. And to get to that something more, you have to understand the necessary start, which is a big deal. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. And then the new access piece. I know you and I dialogued about this all week long because you were trying yeah. to communicate. What you know? What am I trying to say with this? I even
0: brought a pen up in case I needed to draw <laughs> on the back of my paper. She's like,
1: should I get a whiteboard? I'm like, no. I think you should just talk about it. But like, <laughs> like it's a, a big concept. Or something. Like that idea of okay, um, that feeling of brokenness um, and and pain and guilt and shame and whatever. Um, there is at this point now a new. Bottom. Like we never have to question, does God love us? Like right. if you're going through this and you're and you know, religious or not religious or whatever, and, and, and you're like, I don't even know if I believe in a God, but if I did, I don't know how what he or she or it or whatever would think of me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not perfect, like, but I'm I feel like I'm decent, but whatever. And then there's this idea that there's a new, there's a love that that we celebrate during Advent that says, well, we, we know where we stand now with a God who cared mm-hmm. about us so much to make himself known in, in to become human, to right. become flesh, right that that humanity wasn't like this afterthought, it's not like this other thing he's got millions of universes, and this is just one, one of them or whatever. It's like the, the the Christian story starts with this idea that that thing out there made himself known to
0: us, even knowing what it would cost him, even right. yeah,
1: right. Uh, and therefore, there's a relationship that's desired there. There, there yeah. was some sort of a note that was like, hey, I like you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like him sending his son is this, this insinuation that there is love and care and, and we can move forward from there. Right. That's the new access point to look, to look towards. And I think that that's a big piece of what, what's the value of looking back? To know that there is a new access point mm-hmm. that we get to move up from here. So... I mean, you said it better than I did. I just wanted to reflect it for my own personal. <laughs>
0: no, it was good. It, so. I was so thankful to hear that we were having a Q&A because I was like, if I say anything that's like blasphemous or not true, can you just call me out? She actually asked me these? i do this.
1: <laughs> so that I can feel the pressure not to get it right the first time if I mess up on the words. But anyways, good job, babe. Awesome. Uh, All right. Um, any, anything else you want to add?
0: Um, Merry Christmas.
1: Yeah. So Christmas, come celebrate with us. Uh, Christmas Eve, 4, 5, and 6 p.m. We're doing it out in the parking lot. We'd